your table? Can you guys see me okay? If you don't know everybody, just take a second to introduce yourself. Good to see you back, Carolyn. Did you have a nice trip to see your sister? She came to see you. Everybody doing good? Any new announcements? Any babies, weddings, anything new, exciting? No? Okay. Well, I know that Masha's going to have a little girl, right? Another little girl. Yeah, we're excited about that. Yay. And Maggie sold her house, we were praying. The Lord blessed her, and already you have a new house to move into, and then waiting for the Lord to open up your new residence. So we've got some good answers to prayer. God's good. Yes? That's right. We had a miracle. Uh, Your mom, Jennifer, was having a procedure on her heart, and it was actually they were stopping her heart. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, that's awesome. And I know my brother has that, and I know how, how difficult that whole thing is. So praise God. That was, And it was so uh, wonderful. This is, you know, your growth group leader, and let's just take a second at each table. Just If you're the leader at the table, would you say, I'm the leader? <laughs> <laughs> but... One of the reasons that at Cornerstone we build our church is built around small groups because we believe that people grow quicker when they have people together in, in, you know, closeness and in community. And your growth group leaders at your table, these ladies pray for you every day. And Jennifer was really the catalyst in contacting all of the, the church's pastors and leaders, and we were all praying, and she kept saying, okay, it's going to happen. I think it was like 11, was it 11, 15 or something? So she goes, okay, the night before. So thank your growth group leaders because they really do love you, and they pray for you, and they're a blessing. So anyway, that was a wonderful testimony. God is so good. And Vanessa, who's at the table, if uh, Vanessa went into premature labor at 34 weeks, 32 weeks. So she's at Riverside Hospital. If anybody would like to help with small meals or maybe even pack up some lunches for their little girls about three, she's two. So maybe even snacks or whatever. Uh, the, the dad is able to help, but um, anybody that would like to help, you can see Jennifer and because we want to you know, get meals in and help her out because she'll be on bed rest for about four weeks, two to four weeks. So anyway. Okay, well, this morning we're going to start in the book of Philippians, and I want to give us the backstory. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, backstory. Every book of the Bible has a backstory. There's something about the story. There's something about the writer. So I encourage you, when you're studying the scripture, as we go into the book of Philippians, study the life of Paul. Paul wrote... Uh, more of the New Testament than anyone else. There's a wonderful book by uh, an author called uh, F.B. Myers, and it's called Paul. And he goes through all of Paul's books that he wrote, and he gives a backstory. And so um, in this particular story, Paul is really in love with the Philippian church. And he's writing a letter to the church in Philippi, 
and he's encouraging them. It's one of the rare letters that he's writing that he's not having to rebuke them, okay? <laughs> and so uh, he's really just writing them, and he's encouraging them. Now, Paul, when he went to the city of Philippi, there was not a church there. This is the Churches are just getting started, and there was a woman that lived in the city of Philippi, and her name was Lydia, and she was probably from Asia, and she migrated down into Philippi. She was from a, a portion of Asia that had very wealthy fabrics. And this woman was a modern-day entrepreneur. She was a woman that didn't have any glass ceilings. And she had a very successful, really today in our day's term, she would be a fashion empire. Um, she was probably, uh, it'd be like somebody, she, it'd be like somebody that would have a home in New York, a home in Milan, a home in Los Angeles. This woman was really at the crux of the fashion industry. Her company produced an, incre an incredibly beautiful fabric that was a dark purple, which represented royalty or very wealthy people. So this woman, somehow, we don't know how, we don't know a lot about her, but somehow in her travels, in her life experiences, she had come to encounter the Jewish traditions, and as best as she could, she was really trying to worship one God, which was incredible because she came from a culture that worshipped many gods, and she was living in a metropolitan city that was a Roman city that was and had Greeks and Romans that was very much uh, a city that was very, you know, forward thinking. And they had idols. They had their temples were filled with uh, inornate idols and idol worship and uh, in, immorality. But this woman somehow, and I'm giving this backstory, somehow in all of this, she was a seeker. She was a seeker of the kingdom of God, and she had chosen to worship one God. And somewhere somebody had taught her the laws. You know, you'll have only one God before you. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind. And so in the city, if they had enough, I think it was 12 or 15, and there would have to be a man to lead, they would have a synagogue. But in Philippi, there was no synagogue. So that means there were so few Jews and they were so poor, they did not have a synagogue. So this woman, who wouldn't let anything stop her, gathered together probably, according to history, what we figure out is a group of maybe four or five women, and they would go on the Sabbath and sit probably in a patio somewhere along this river, and they would have Bible study. So if you want to know where the first Bible study started, who was the first Bible study women's ministries leader it was Lydia. It's right there in the scripture. So we can be thankful for Lydia. So there she is. So Paul comes into the city of Philippi, and he winds up there at this Bible study. Of course, it was just a little small gathering of women. And he tells them about Jesus Christ. And they realize this is what they have been looking for. And so they, Paul invites himself to their house. She invites him. They become friends. They be, receive Jesus Christ, and they get baptized with water. They get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they start a church in Philippi. 
Now, we don't know. It's possible that Lydia could have been one of the pastors there. We're not sure. But we do know that um, that's where the church of Philippi started was right there. Now, then Paul goes along, and he stays there for a while. And his next encounter is with a woman, a young girl, who's demonized. And that girl is going around telling everybody how great Paul is, but it's really not helping him. So then he leads her to Christ. So now we have two converts. And then we have a third convert who's a jail keeper. Because remember, Paul gets thrown into prison, and they treat him terribly. And it's actually from prison that Paul writes the book of Philippians, not at this particular encounter, but down the road. So we know that Paul gets thrown in, in prison, and while he's there in stocks and bonds and everything, we're, ta- we're not talking about being at Guantanamo Bay where you get to do whatever you want, you know, in orange jumpsuits. We're talking about stocks, legs and stocks. They actually would spread their legs out so far in these stocks to the point of virtually dislocating the hip. They were cruel. The Romans were cruel, cruel people. They took the art of... of uh, hurting people, of, of torturing people to an incredible level. So when you think about Paul, you know, you go, okay, well, he was in dung because he was in the bottom of the prison and there was dung up to his ankles probably because all the stuff would go to the bottom. They put, you know, whoever they really wanted to torture, and then he was in these stocks. And we know that they began praising the Lord. And what happens? They The gates open and the prison guard wakes up to see the gates open, and he starts to kill himself. And Paul says, no, 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 don't, don't. And he leads him to Christ and his household. So this is how the church in Philippi grows. It grows because there is this passionate missionary evangelist who's telling the good news. He's telling the story of Jesus Christ. He's telling what God has done for him, that he was once a Jew. He was once a man that kept the law, and he could keep it better than anybody else. But now he found Jesus. He got knocked off his horse. He went blind, and he was blind, but now he sees. So this is the backstory of the book of Philippians. It's a letter of encouragement. Now, in the book To Live is Christ, to Die is Gain by Matt Chandler, which is a great book. If you want to read something more on the book of Philippians, it's called To Live is Christ, To Die is Gain. It's available on Kindle. Matt Chandler is the author. It's a very good book, and I encourage you to read it if you'd like to read more. And F.B. Meyer's book on um, Paul. And I always like to give you books that I'm reading because, you know, if you like to read, I'll tell you if it's good. If it's not, I won't tell you. And uh, he, he gives this great concept. He says, you've probably already realized that Philippians is filled with what we call coffee cup verses. They're passages of scripture that have sto- so stirred our heart that they've ended up on our T-shirts, our tote bags, and our coffee cups. So let's take a crack at this and see um, how many of them we could get. So I'll give you part of it and you finish it if you can. To live is Christ. I can do all things through Christ. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to. Very good. And rejoice in the Lord. 
when are we supposed to rejoice? <laughs> and again, <laughs> Paul's secret to life is found in the book of Philippians, and that is to give all the glory to the Lord and to live for the Lord. Paul's jailhouse experience proved this, that nobody can lock up the freedom we have in Christ. No matter what your circumstances, he showed us that even in prison, and ladies, this is especially important to women who are going through difficult marriages. You need to know no one can take your freedom in Christ. You certainly may feel like you're in stocks and locks and behind bars, but listen, your spirit, your soul is free because whom the Lord has set free is free indeed. And he can give you midnight breakthroughs just like he gave Paul. And your testimony before your unsaved husband or your pain in the dearer husband can be more of a testimony to him than anything. You can be the light in the darkness. So let's talk a little bit here about the themes in the Philippian, in Philippians. Now I'm going to go kind of slow, and I'm, they're going to put them up here. And I totally switched up my teaching today because I felt like this would be better to go into the kind of the main part. So this is just the precursor to really the gist of my teaching today on who's driving Miss Daisy. So look at these themes in the Philippians chart. First of all, in chapter 1, it's about joy in living for Christ. Chapter 1 is about joy in living for Christ. You should have a, a homework, uh, I mean a teaching outline, maybe at the center. There you go. So joy in serving Christ, or I'm sorry, joy in living for Christ is the first one. That's the first one. The chapter 1, the theme is joy in living for Christ. We have a joy even in the times I don't get what I want. That's the theme in the first chapter. Even when I don't get what I want. Puh, that's an affront. You mean I can have joy even when I don't get what I want? That's, that's pretty awesome. That's freedom in Christ. We can have joy even in spite of my difficult and uncertain circumstances. We can have joy even in spite of my difficult and uncertain circumstances. You want to read a life story of somebody that had joy in difficult circumstances? Read um, The Hiding Place. Read The Hiding Place. It's an amazing book. Or some of um, the books about praying for your spouse and praying for your children, Stormy or Mardian's books. Just Enough Light for the Step You're On is a great book for women in difficult relationships and marriages and circumstances. Just Enough Light for the Step You're On. So we can have joy even when times I don't get what I want. The other day I was shopping with my daughter Nicole and her little girl wanted something, my little granddaughter. And uh, she said, no, she couldn't have it. And she started down that, you know, <laughs> you promise. <laughs> Went through the whole thing. And Nicole kind of told her, you know what? Life's just that way. You can't always get what you want. So there. <laughs> was a great illustration of awesome parenting. So even in spite of my difficult and uncertain circumstances, and I can have joy even with conflicts. 
I can have joy even when I'm in conflict. Go figure that one. <laughs> Remember when we lived um, on Van Buren Street in Yorba Linda, we had the worst neighbor. <sighs> And I would think, oh, I remember one day the kids were out front playing and they stepped on his lawn. And he came out and he started yelling at him. He goes, all your mom lets you guys do is play and have fun. You're just always having fun. That's all your mom thinks about is having fun. And the kid's like, well, we're kids. Isn't that what you do? He made life so difficult. We had a Bible study once, and the uh, well, more than once, but on a weekly basis. And we had a, a disabled person coming. And he had a van and he, had, uh, he would come out the back in his wheelchair. And this man, our neighbor, would get so mad. First, he tried turning the sprinklers on all the cars, which didn't work. And then he would actually put his trash cans the night of our Bible study after the guy parked to cover up his, the guy's door so he couldn't get in. And <laughs> it wasn't too much longer after that. He actually had a heart attack. And his wife came over, and she was panicked. And Carolyn happened to be there, and she was in high school, and she drove him to the hospital and saved his life. They said if she hadn't put him in the car and driven him to the hospital, he would have died. And we were able to lead him to Christ just a few weeks after that. I led him to Christ out. But he was the most difficult, raunchy, you probably remember Memily, grouchy old guy, and you know what? Even with conflicts, we could have joy. His grumpiness did not affect our household, mostly. Okay, chapter 2. <laughs> Here's the theme in chapter 2, joy and serving Christ in unity. Chapter 2 is about unity. Everybody needs unity. Joy and serving Christ in unity. This is good family stuff. Man, you apply the book of Philippians to your family, and you are going to have Disneyland every day, the good part of Disneyland, not the I've been there eight hours and I don't have any money part. Joy in serving Christ in unity. This is rooted in a right heart. He talks about being rooted in a right heart. That's where unity comes, having the mind of Christ, being rooted in a right heart. Joy in serving Christ in unity, rooted in a right heart, rooted in knowing the word of God in truth. Unity comes from being rooted in knowing the word of God in truth. Aren't you glad that God's word is truthful? That you don't have to look at and go, oh, he changed his mind. That doesn't mean that anymore. He's only giving grace out every one Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. No. His word is the same. It never changes. It is a foundation that is unshakable. Then rooted in who I allow as mentors in my life. Joy in serving Christ in unity and rooted in who I allow as, mentor, as a mentor in my life. This is an important aspect of having good mentors in your life. And Paul writes about that, and it's, it's, it, he is exemplary in the area of always having other disciples and people around him that he was mentoring, and those that let Paul mentor them. It's very important. I just heard a study done by several universities last week, and they were asking people that were graduating from college, universities that were going looking for jobs. And they asked them, they said, if you were given a job 
would you take it if you got more money or you got the benefit of an older mentor? And you know what they said? They wanted the older mentor. That's a real change in our society because a decade ago, people would have taken more money. My generation would have taken more money. We were so full of ourselves, we thought we knew it all. And so this generation, though, is saying, you know what, I would like to have a mentor. So us ladies that use Miss um, Clairol, um, <laughs> not by choice, by necessity, we are needed. We are needed in the body of Christ more than ever before. And that's one of the reasons I'm doing the Wednesday night growth group for single women um, because I really want to be able to speak into your lives. Okay, chapter 3, knowing joy and knowing Christ. So we have chapter 1, joy and living for Christ. Chapter 2, joy and serving Christ in unity. And chapter 3, joy and knowing Christ. And these are simple. He gives a warning. Paul gives a warning in chapter 3. He gives a testimony. He gives a goal and he gives a command. So we have a warning, a testimony, a goal, and a command in chapter 3. When you're studying the scriptures, you'll find that one of the main things you learn when you go into Bible school or you're taking classes on studying the scripture is they teach you to make outlines of the books of the Bible. If you do an inductive study, that's one of the things they'll have you do. And on blueletterbible.com, um, Pastor Chuck Smith is the best outline maker of all teachers. So I encourage you, if you're looking, want to study the scripture, go to blueletter.com, and you can go under study tools, and you can pull outlines, and you can see the way the chapters and the verses of particular books of the Bible are written. So in chapter 3, joy in knowing Christ, a warning, a testimony, a goal, and a command. Then chapter 4 is joy in resting in Christ. I think chapter 4 of Philippians is one of the most uh, well-known portions of Scripture. It talks about I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, I think my God shall supply all your needs, you know, according to his riches and glory. You find some great verses throughout Philippians chapter 4 is a great chapter. Joy and resting in Christ, one in Christ. One in Christ is the first theme we'll see there. We'll see resting in his peace. And Paul has some foresight. So joy in resting in Christ, one in Christ. Resting in his peace and Paul's foresight. Okay. Does anybody need any of those fill-ins? Did you get them all? Okay. Um, uh, that I'll get to that one. <laughs> Thank you. That's right where we're headed. Thank you, Lydia. Okay, now, so we're going to talk about what the book of Philippians is really about. And I titled this, What's Driving Miss Daisy? Because knowing what passions drive us determines our joy quotient. And this is not something that you can fake it till you make it. Because really, who, what your passion is determines every decision you make in your life. It determines your relationship with your family. It determines how you parent your children. It determines everything 
Your passions determine your joy quotient. So when you wake up in the morning, what do you think about? How much laundry? How many meals you have to make today? Your grocery list? Getting the kids to school? What drives you? What drives you in the morning? That's like, to me, that was kind of telltale for my life that really began defining um, where I really, I needed to make adjustments. And I tell this story probably every session because it is so a turning point in my life was when I determined every morning before I even was wide awake, I would acknowledge the Lord. You know that moment when you haven't heard any children yet and you're waking up to see, you sniff to see if anything's burning, to hear if anything's on, you know. And, and so you, that first, and I determined before I even listened for those things. And the first morning I woke up and I really, good morning, Lord, and I felt his presence. I felt his delight. And I did that for like three days. And the next day I woke up and the first thing I heard was, good morning, Carol. You know, I've been waiting for you. See, he was waiting for me. He just wanted me to acknowledge him. And that turned my whole focus. Everything in my life began filtering around, filtering around that purpose and that passion. It was a small thing, but it made a huge difference. Actually, pastor's teaching on Sunday, the soul's value really ties into the book of Philippians. And I encourage you, if you have not heard that message, that message is foundational to our Christian faith, is understanding that it's not just me, my flesh, and eternity, my spirit, it's now the soul and making the soul healthy. So understanding the value of our soul and its worth, is it's what, that's what's at the bottom of this re revelation about one's joy quotient. And it gets no simpler than this. Joy, Jesus, others, you. J-O-Y. It gets no simpler than that. Now, that seems so simplistic. But really, if every decision we make, every thought is filtered through Jesus, putting others first, and then me, it makes a huge, huge difference. So I think the most important question we have to ask today is what is at the bottom of your joy? What is at the bottom of your joy? Just turn to your neighbor and say, what is at the bottom of your joy? Now, since I've been teaching for CGN TV, which is primarily an Asian and South American kind of TV, I'm learning a lot about different cultures, and I found that one of the things in our culture, when we say bottom, we think of something low, you know? So I don't want you to think of bottom as being low. I want you to think of bottom as being the most important part of your value system, of who you are. And if anything other than Jesus is at the bottom, then we need to exchange what's at the bottom for the putting the joy of Jesus there, not self. We need to move self out of the bottom. That's what Pastor shared on Sunday. We need to get rid of self and replace self with God. There's another great book I've read called Desiring God by John Piper. John Piper is a wonderful writer and author. Desiring God. And he says, he writes this, do you feel more loved by God because he makes much of you or because he enables you to make much of him? I'm going to say that again. 
Do you feel more loved by God because he makes much of you or because he enables you to make much of him? Other words, are you using God or do you just really love him? Is he really at the bottom? He says this. He says, we need to, to know that God makes much about us in the scripture. It's very important we understand that. Jeremiah 29, 11, my plans for you are good. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's got good plans for you. In fact, he has a hope and he has a future for you. No matter what, last night I sat here after Bible study and listened to the story of a woman who was married like 20-some years and her husband walked out on her. And he wants nothing to do with it. Just plain abandon her and her kids. And I said, and she's really tried, really tried to reconcile, even though I would just slap him silly. And she's really trying. And I, I said to her, I said, you need to know this. Just because your husband has not chosen to serve God and he has walked away, that does not have anything to do with your future because your future is dependent on God, not man. Jeremiah 29, 11, my plans are good good, not of evil, that you would have a hope and a future. So let's kind of go to the bottom of our lives. And there's a great exercise I want to do that maybe will help us go down, 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 down and figure what's at the bottom of our lives. So if I was to say to you, let's say um, you made an A on your test and I said, oh, you had your test go? And you said, oh, I made an A. And I said, oh, that's great. Why does that make you happy? Well, it, it makes me happy because I, the teacher was very pleased. Or, you know, uh, my parents were really pleased that I made an A. Or my study group was really pleased. I say, okay, well, that's good. Or maybe it's more decisive. I made an A, which means I can get into grad school. Oh, okay, that's bottom. We got bottom. Okay, let's step down a little bit to another level. Well, why is getting into grad school so important to you? Well, getting into grad school makes me so joyful because I want to be a psychologist. I want to be a clinical psychologist. Oh, that's awesome. Well, why does that make you happy? So now we've gone down two levels got an A, got to go to grad school. Now I'm in grad, I get to go to grad school. That makes me happy because I get to be a counselor. That's my career choice. Well, why does being a counselor make you happy? Well, the person might say when I was in younger, I had some difficulties in my life and my parents took me to a really good counselor and the counselor helped me. Now I want to help people. Oh, so you, you're, you're joyful. Your joy in this, making this A is really about you getting to pursue your career choice because what makes you happy is serving people. Do you see how when we start asking those questions, we see how we go lower, lower, lower? And so you say, well, that's great. I get into grad school. That will make me happy. That will make me joyful. And I like that. But I'd have to ask myself, the question now to that person, but really, what makes you happy at the very bottom level? Because you see, being a 
counselor, that's great. But that is not going to fulfill your heart's desire about joy. What's at the bottom? One of two things. It's either you or God. What sits at the very core of what makes me joyful, of what makes me happy, is what's at the bottom. Is it God or is it me? And, and he says this way, and when you end up, as you penetrate down in your life to the bottom of what makes you happy, it's who you are. And there are only two possibilities down there, making much about you or making much of God. So really, this study through Philippians is about making much about God, not about me. In fact, if you listen to Sunday's message, you realize that letting me carry the burdens of the world is not big enough. Little me is not big enough to carry the weight of the whole world. And that's why joy gets murky, is when we allow, we think that we can make ourselves happy. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6.33. So when you get to the bottom, there's no more answers. There's no more, well, it makes me happy because I please my parents or it makes me happy and joyful because I get to be a counselor. Because at the bottom, it's either God or it's you. What makes you happy, God or you? Matthew 6.33 says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. One of the translations says his right standard of living. The New Living Translation says Live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. See, if I'm at the bottom, and I'm saying, well, I'm seeking God. I came to church twice this month. Pat me on the back. And you know what? I even volunteered to be a greeter for Pastor Kim. She was so happy. And then God didn't answer my prayer I want. Oh, you know what? I actually put in offering this week. Because if I give my offering, it says, you know, give and it will be given to you, right? Right? Is that what it says? Yeah. Right? Well, it also says here the core of that is to live righteously. Then he will take care of you. Now, he will take care of you because we're sinners, saved by grace. His grace is really sufficient. Boy, am I glad. Because I am a mess. Remember last year, last lesson on the grand weaver we talked about from mess to masterpiece you know we're all messes we're hot messes ladies hormones are not last time i went to the doctor she said mrs danny your ovaries are the size of peas and i'm like is that good i don't know <laughs> i guess i don't know God's grace is so sufficient for us, no matter where we are. But when we put him first, when he's at the bottom. Yesterday, I went to empty my trash, and it's just Pastor Rick and I. I mean, we have grandkids in and out and family and stuff. But upstairs in our master bedroom, I had just emptied the trash on Saturday. And yesterday when I went in, it looked like it had snowed in my trash can. My trash can was just like, because we've both been blowing our nose, you know, and it was just like, just at the top where it was just getting ready to just fluff out onto the ground. 
And I went, where did all that trash come from? Well, that's life. You know, we're little trash cans in a good sort of way, cute little trash cans. And then you come by and this gets thrown in. Conflict comes. And, you know, you think you married the man of your dreams and you found out it wasn't exactly how you expected. You know, and then you have kids and Mother's Day comes and they're all sick with the flu. And it wasn't that great. You know, all these disappointments come your way and the trash can just starts overflowing. But see, if what's at the bottom is God, it's all going to be okay. I can tell you, it's going to be okay. Paul said, you know, I'm pressed. You know, I've been imprisoned. I've been tossed in the sea, you know. But I'm okay. Because when God's at the bottom and not me, me is just such a little pain in the derriere, too. Because I can get myself, and I can wake up and have just the worst little, you ever have one of those mornings you just wake up and you look at your husband like, <laughs> don't even, don't even look at me that way. When God's at the bottom, everything else comes in place. Seek first the kingdom of God. So today I want us to look at our buck our lives as a big bucket and allow us to take everything we've crammed into it and find out what's at the bottom. What's at the bottom? Is it much about you or much about God? And that's what Philippians is all about. If it's much about God, (laughs) your life is going to be smooth sailing. Does that mean you're not going to have, you're going to never have difficulties? No, you will have difficulties. But it's okay, because if God's at the bottom, everything else just falls into place. Sing with me. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back, the cross before me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. Lord, like Paul, we say, it's all about you, Lord. That's our passion. And Father, it says even... I can do all these things. I can make you the bottom, Lord, because your word says in Philippians that you will strengthen me. Lord, I can make you at the bottom because it says that when I bring my request to you with joy, you will answer them. Lord, it says that when you're at the bottom in Matthew 6, 33, that if I seek you first and I live according to your standards, then All my needs will be taken care of. The desires of my heart, Lord, because when you're at the bottom, our desires are your desires. 
Your desires are our desires. So, Lord, I pray for each one of these amazing ladies. Lord, they're all beautiful, and they all have purpose, and they all have joy quotients that you want to increase the next 10 weeks. And, Lord, some of them are facing difficult situations. But, Lord, I speak miracles over them this morning, Lord. I speak miracles over them, Jesus. I speak blessings and healing and breakthroughs and answers to prayer. And, Lord, relationships that are damaged, that, Lord, restoration would come and the enemy would take his hands off of people's lives and that, Lord, you would break through in ways that they can't even imagine. Your word says that you will do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think according to your riches and glory. And I don't want to be amiss this morning. If there's anybody here that does not know Jesus Christ and you say, I have never allowed Jesus to be my savior. I know I'm a sinner. I feel that shame when I sin and I need to have forgiveness. And if that's you today, with every head bowed, every eye closed, you say, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior. Will you just let your eyes meet mine this morning? Just let your eyes meet mine if that's you. Okay. Anybody? Is that why your eyes are looking at me this morning? Okay. Let's pray. Let's pray this prayer. Just say with me, dear Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Make my relation right with you. In Jesus' name. And then, Lord, I pray for each person that's just really been struggling with the issue of putting you first. We need your help, Lord. It is a daily battle. Lord, you put a piece of chocolate in front of me, and I'll do just about anything. (laughs) Lord, that's a silly illustration, but that just really peaks the head of the passions that drive us and the thirst and the appetites that drive us. And we want to surrender everything to you, Lord. Our will, Lord, that it may be said of us that our souls are well. It is well with my soul. So, Lord, we thank you what you're going to do the next few weeks in our lives. Give us strength. Lord, I pray at the end of 10 weeks, this place will be overflowing with women out the door because we can't stop talking about you and bringing our friends and neighbors. Thank you, Jesus. You are so wonderful, and we love you. Amen. So what I want you to do at your in your table groups now is I want you to talk about, be honest, what's at the bottom of your life? What's at the bottom Be honest. And I know for many of you, most of you are going to say the bottom is Jesus. But sometimes, perhaps, maybe, oops, I get in the way. Talk about maybe some of those things that get in the way. And allow the Holy Spirit to give you some answers and some help and encouragement because you're going to pray for each other. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.